welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Let's get into the Word of God today. And we are going to continue our series that we started on love called The Greatest of these. Now this series was based on Paul's description. Remember we said it's not a definition. It's a description of what true biblical and godly love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and I believe that this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, should be considered the ultimate description of what love is, of what love means, and how love can should be expressed. And in fact, the purpose of Paul's letter to, was, to the Corinthian church was to instruct them on many key principles of, of faith, like the sanctity of the marriage vows, believing in Christ and his resurrection, the importance of spiritual gifts, and even examining oneself in the light of of Jesus. And, and that's what I, I want you to do today. As we get into this word, we are going to be talking about the character and the quality of love. And, and I want you for a moment, I want you to do what, what Paul's desired intent was for the Corinthian church. I want you to look at yourself in the light of the description of the quality and the character of love. And, and so the, the chapter begins by stating what love is not and how actions done to promote oneself and not love for others or love for God are essentially wasteless and, and, and are wasted efforts. They're useless and, and wasted efforts. In fact, he starts off this chapter, verse 1 through 3, he says, If I could speak all of the languages of the, of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And so Paul is coming to the, the realization and expressing his heart that you can do all of the religious duties and the religious rituals and, and hold all of the, the liturgical practices and protocols, and you can even give and have the kind of faith that could move mountains, but without love, it, it, it's nothing that everything that we do for God and in God should come motivated by love. And so then Paul takes that part of the chapter and he begins to uh, give us a description of what love is, which was the title of the first few messages of this series. And he lists several examples of how love is expressed and how love is felt. Now let me interject this. While this list is exhaustive, it is not comprehensive because I think it would be humanly impossible to completely describe what love is. Why? Because we know that love is God. 
God is essentially love, the essence of love. God does not have love. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. So how could we comprehensively describe God? And if God is love, then we would not be able to comprehensively describe what love is. And so I think this is exhaustive, but it's not quite comprehensive. But through these 15 perfections or expressions of love, I believe that Paul gives us a clear picture of the character and the quality of love. And so he goes on to write in verse 4, he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always holds, and it always perseveres. So let's, for a few moments, let's look at the character of love, the, the characteristics of love. Now, the first thing that Paul says, he says, love is patient. So one of the, the first characteristics or, or, or qualities of love is that love is patience and patience. How many of you can be honest with yourself that you need to work on patience? Raise your hand. Let, let's, take a, let's take a random poll. Raise your hand. How many of you believe that you're patient? <laughs> we have one or two liars in the house. I mean, we have one or two people... <laughs> that are patient. And the thing about patience, how do we know that patience is a character of love? Because the people we are patient with, let me put it this way, the people that we have relational equity with or, or love with, we tend to be more patient with. The people that we don't love, like every little thing we can, we can nitpick down, right? And, and so we can be patient with some people and not be patient with, with others. In fact, I was having a leadership meeting this past week with, with our pastors and our executive team. And I challenged them that we as leaders, we have to be the, the, the example of love. That we have to love everyone equally as much as possible. Because the moment we stop loving, we stop being patient with people. In fact, look at what Oxford defines love or, or patience. He says, patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering. Think about that for a moment. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering. How, how, now you understand what patience is. How many of you still think you're patient? <laughs> Man, I thought I would get a couple or two or three that would say that, right? But here's the kicker. It says, but it doesn't stop there. It says, without getting angry or upset. See, some of us tolerate, but we get angry or upset. And, and, and patience is the ability to give grace on the same level that we've been given grace. 
to be tolerant with people the same way that they tolerate our, our weaknesses, our deficiencies, our attitudes. And I've used this example. How many times when people cut us off, we get angry and upset. Where did you learn how to drive? We have a certain young man, a part of the worship team, that's always blasting the drivers in Eagle Pass. I'm not going to tell you which Caleb that is. But... Um, <laughs> We know that God needs to work on his patience because <laughs> he's putting it on Facebook. <laughs> Ta-da, there he is. <laughs> but if, if we recognize, why is it that we are so intolerant? Oftentimes, why is it that we are so intolerant impatient with people when they're driving is because most of the time due to a lack of discipline we're running late <laughs> right that's when we tend to be more impatient and it's not really about them it's about us if we would have left with enough time then we probably would not be stressed we would not be hurry and we would not be impatient so the first characteristic of love is patient. And then Paul goes on to say, love is kind. So the second characteristic of love is kindness. Now, Oxford defines kindness as the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. But I believe that kindness actually means so much more because kindness can mean different things to different people based on your, your situation or the situation that people might find them in. So the meaning to kindness is in how you choose to show it or how you choose to express it. Kindness can be through empathy, through acceptance, through kind gestures, through thoughtfulness. The, the, the possibilities are entirely up to you you. And kindness might even look like being helpful or showing empathy. It may mean doing nice things without expecting nice things in return. Why? Because kindness is much more than just being nice. It's, nice is, is not a word that I really like to use because oftentimes we use nice in a very vague and generic way when we really don't want to express what we're really thinking or feeling. Like, like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, they're nice. <laughs> or how was church? It was nice. And once somebody says nice, you know you want to go for the tea. Like, how nice was it? <laughs> or how nice are they not? And so we'll use nice as, as this word. It's that moment where you, you hear your mama in the background say, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. So we say nice. <laughs> it was nice. But, but kindness is so much more than nice. See, kindness goes beyond being merely just nice. And, and let me ask you, would you prefer people to describe you as being kind or as being nice? See, when you're nice, there can be a lack of sincerity. There is often a perception of, of just doing the bare minimum, whereas being kind is doing intentional, voluntary acts of kindness. Not only when it's easy to be kind, but even when it's hard. I think that's where God really tests our love, when it's easy to be kind. Everybody can be kind, but the true challenge of godly, agape love is can we be kind when people are 
unkind. Let's talk about marriage. Y'all want to go there? Or should we leave it for later? Go for it, right? Let's talk about kindness. And you know, we talked about how in marriage, oftentimes people keep score. And, and you forget that you're on the same team. And instead of playing together for the same dream, you're, 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 you're actually going back at each other. And oftentimes when we sit in marriage counseling, it, we, we see this cycle of, well, you said, and because you said, I said, and because you said, I said, and because you did, I did. And it almost seems like it's always the same thing. And the, and the thing is, is that if we would be kind, even in the context of our marriage, everything would be different if we would be kind in the context of our relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's with family, whether it's with co-workers, because kindness, true kindness is not just expressed when people are being kind. True kindness is when people are being unkind. How do you respond when they're rude to you at McDonald's? Do you respond with kindness? I'm not going to give you my testimonies, okay? This is about you. It's not about me, okay? <laughs> no, we don't have time for that. Let's talk about the third characteristic of love, humility. Paul goes on to say, love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You know, one of the things I love when I talk to people, when people start off saying, well, I don't want to brag. And they say that knowing that they're about to brag. <laughs> like, I, I'm not one to brag, but I'm going to brag right now. Or when they put on social media, they, they, they show their brand new Louis, Louis purse and they put hashtag humbled, hashtag blessed, right? <laughs> I'm not showing off. I'm just showing off God because God is good, right? But... Love is expressed through humility. Now, Oxford defines humility as a modest or low view of, one, of one's own importance. A modest or low view of one's own importance. But I, I think Paul gives us a true definition of biblical humility in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Look at what he says. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Now, when we read this in English, you don't understand the, 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 the language, the, the assertiveness that Paul is that Paul is, is giving here. He sounds, you know, it sounds so polite. And yes, Paul is being polite, but he's being very stern. He said, because of my place, because of my position, because the place that God has put me, I, I, I'm going to give you this, this warning. And then he goes on to say, don't think you are better than you really are. In the New King James Version, it says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. And for a long time, we in, in the Christian church, in the Christian culture, we misunderstood and misinterpreted what Paul was saying. If you notice, Paul does not say not to think highly of yourself. That's not what he's saying. And, and, and because we misunderstood, oftentimes we carry around this, this false humility, this false uh, uh, religious piety and, and called with humility. Like they'll, they'll come to somebody on the worship team, man, you killed it today. It was amazing. It was all God. 
It's just, it's just, it's not me. It's just all him. It just, I just get up there and the Holy Spirit, don't be weird to say thank you. And I've gone to, and, I, and I've gone to Pastor, man, that was a great word. Man, it's just not me. It was just all God. It's just God doing his thing. And I'm just a vessel and I'm just a lowly wretched, you know. No, just say thank you. You can be, be godly and still be confident in who God has called and created you to be. Paul is not saying not to think highly of yourself. He is saying that you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you really are. And this is what he goes on to say. He says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. What is Paul saying? He's that you got to get a clue. You have to have some self-awareness. One of the worst things that you can do is encounter somebody that has no self-awareness. They have no idea. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, you not only have to know where you are strong, you also have to know where you struggle. And there's nothing that stinks more than someone who knows where they're strong and they have no idea where they struggle. Wow, I thought maybe I'd get some amens, but maybe, let me try this side. Just Caleb. Paul is saying, you have to know where you're strong, especially in leadership. In leadership, one of the principles of lead, effective leadership is that you have to have some self-awareness. You have to know where you're strong, and you have to know where you struggle. Why? Because you should always staff to your weakness. You don't need to hire people that are good at doing what you do. You need to have some self-awareness and realize where you are weak, where you struggle. You have to know. And one of the things that stinks the worst when you encounter somebody that they know where they are strong, but they have no idea where they struggle. And they walk around looking at everybody like, you, you, you should just be as good as me. And everybody sees where they struggle and nobody sees where they're strong. Now understand that it's just as bad for you to see where you, you are strong and not see where you are struggling, but also to see that you struggle and not have a clue where you're strong. See, when you only have this low self-deprecating perception and perspective of yourself, you're not giving humility and you're not giving glory to God. Because when you can stand here and know that God has given you the ability to sing, to preach, to teach, to play. When God, when, when you can stand in, in your God-given motivational gifts and spiritual gifts. And you understand that God has called you and gifted you. And you begin to operate and function within that calling. That, in, that, in that place, in that position that God has called and created you. That's when you give glory to God. That's when God can sit back and say, that is my son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. So it's just as bad to know where you're strong and not to know where you struggle is to know where you struggle and not to know where you're strong. You have to have some sound and sober judgment. So Paul is saying is that you have to be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. One of the things that I have on my leadership team, I have people that know how to speak truth to power. Because you need people that can help you see your blind spots. And men, if you didn't know, that's your wife. <laughs> Ladies, I'll be here all week. I take gift cards, Amazon, Nordstrom's, Star Starbucks. 
Thank you, I almost forgot. <laughs> Oftentimes that person is your wife. And you can you imagine how dangerous it is to drive and not having a clear view of your blind spots? And it's not that they're nagging, they're trying to keep you from getting into an accident. Yep, ladies. Man, I'd get some more support. Come on, ladies. All right. So the next characteristic of love is selflessness. And, and I believe that this is what Paul says. He says, love is not self-seeking. I think this is the true epitome in essence of godly biblical love is to put others' needs before ourselves. That's what love is. Is is we? It's not. It's not denying that we have needs. It's putting our needs. And in the context of marriage, this is where we we have a lot of struggles and challenges. Why? Because women, by nature, God made them nurturing. It's their natural. It's their natural instinct to put their need their needs to the side and go after everybody else's needs. Now, here's God's cruel sense of humor. It's man's natural nature to put his needs over everybody else's needs all the ladies say that's just the way it is and I think God did that on purpose because God has a, a great sense of humor it says let's see them work this one out and women naturally, it's just they're, they're now understand, guys. There's there's exception to the rules, and as we grow and mature, we can find that healthy equilibrium. We can find that healthy balance. But naturally, women are naturally designed to put their needs to the side. They don't even think about it. Where the, the, that's a natural outward expression of their love, and and so men, our natural expression of love is to love ourselves. <laughs> and to put our needs over everybody else's when we're hungry, when we're tired, you know, when we're hangry. That's what, that's what it is. But, but true love, a true expression of godly agape biblical love is not self-seeking. And can you imagine how our lives, and, and not just within marriage and family, but even in our, our, our work relationships, in our, our community relationships, if we would take a step back and put our needs to the side and put others' needs first. Then the next characteristic of love is forgiveness. And Paul writes it this way. He says, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Man, some of you late. We, we were bashing on the men. Let's get to the ladies now. Right, men? I don't know about you women, but you have like a thousand million terabytes of hard drive. Like, y'all don't forget anything. It's crazy how you can remember with such detail every time we've made you mad. Every time we said the wrong thing, every time we've done the wrong thing, it's a gift, it's a curse. <laughs> and, and once again, this is, this is biology. 
And, and I just learned this this week, the way that, that we process, uh, uh, the way that we, we process information and experience different situations, it goes to the hippocampus, which goes to that area and the place in the brain where we experience emotion. That's why every time you make your wife feel that same emotion by doing the same bozo boneheaded thing, they can recall every time for the last 10 years you'd messed up. It's a gift. Maybe is it a gift? And we as men, we get home and we're getting the cold shoulder and the silent treatment and we're trying to rack our brain. What did I do this time? Like, <laughs> and it usually happens like this. Are you mad? No. Why? Okay. We're good. And then you say no. Understand, ladies. We're going to take you at your word. If you say no... It's almost like, do what you want. <laughs> Guys, let me give you a clue. That doesn't mean do what you want. <laughs> that means that you got to work hard to figure out what she wants. That's what do what you want means, okay? I'm, I'm giving you free advice here. Do, do, I don't care. Do what you want. Do, that means you better figure out what she wants and do it, because if you do the wrong thing, you're going to get upset. But forgiveness... Forgiveness. See, life is too short to hold on to petty things, disagreements, misunderstandings, and, and unforgiveness. And how often do we lose minutes or valuable moments with those we love because we spend so much time being offended and hurt by something someone said or something someone did. And then all of a sudden in the grand scheme of things that many, we, we realize that many of those things that we were upset and offended about all of a sudden don't really matter. See, as a pastor, one of the things that I, I, I least enjoy is doing funerals. It's, it's, it's something that, that's very difficult for me. It's just not something I, I, I enjoy. I, I enjoy being there for the family when they're hurting. But you know what always makes a funeral so hard is when you find out that there's conflict with family members and they haven't spoken for years. But you know what often happens during those moments? It's in those moments that they realize that whatever they were mad about really didn't matter. I've heard people cry because they hadn't spoken to a loved one in years, and now they're gone. And you go back and you think, man, did, what, did that really matter? What, was it really worth it to hold on to, to that, that, that offense? Because when we fail to forgive, we become prisoners of our own pain, and we become prisoners of our past. When we fail to forgive, we become prisoners of our own pain, and we become prisoners of our past. Why? Because forgiveness isn't about them. Forgiveness is about you. 
Forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is for you. And oftentimes we get stuck in, in, in our stubbornness of not wanting to forgive because we say, well, they're not even sorry. They don't have any remorse. They haven't asked for forgiveness. Why am I going to forgive them if they're not sorry for what they did? But you've got to understand that the power of forgiveness is not in the one who offended you. The power of forgiveness is in you. Forgiveness isn't about those that hurt you or offended you. Forgiveness is about you. And so why should we forgive? Because Jesus forgave you. And that's the biblical pattern of forgiveness. Do you remember when Jesus, when, when Jesus dropped the F-bomb? Do y'all remember that part of the story? Y'all didn't know that Jesus dropped an F-bomb? Y'all need to read your book or see the movie, one or the other. But there he was, being crucified on the cross, nailed, whipped, beaten, spit upon, mocked, ridiculed. And there he is, hanging on the cross, and Jesus drops the F-bomb. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At any moment in that narrative, in that story, where the soldier saying, Jesus, I really don't want to do this, but if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. No. They were angry. They were upset. They wanted to inflict pain. They had no remorse for what they were doing. They didn't feel bad for what they were doing. And even in that moment, they had not asked Jesus for forgiveness. Even in that moment, Jesus understood. He was giving us the pattern that forgiveness isn't about those that hurt you or offended you. Forgiveness is about you. And there he was in that moment experiencing the most excruciating, horrific pain of his life, and he drops the F-bomb. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why do I call it the F-bomb? Because when you forgive those that hurt you and offended you, you're blowing their plan all up to pieces. <laughs> Have you ever been in a moment where someone's mad at you and they block you on Instagram and Facebook and they don't talk to you and all of a sudden you just extend forgiveness? Like you completely disarm them. They have no, they, 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 they don't know how to respond to that. The next time someone is, is yelling at you or someone is offended with you, just drop the F-bomb and say, I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> And watch the reaction. They're probably saying, oh, I didn't ask for forgiveness. I know, but I still forgive you. See, failing to forgive causes an unhealthy tendency to protect our past, unhealthily protect our pain, and does not allow us to pursue our future. We hold future relationships as prisoners of our past pain. When you fail to forgive, it keeps you stuck and stagnant, and you take everybody prisoner of your past pain. That bozo that cheated on you in eighth grade, your husband's paying for it. Your mama told you he was a bozo, but I estabas, but he's so cute. He's the popular, popular boy on the flag football team. Y ahorita stop. But when you choose to forgive, notice I didn't say 
when you feel like forgiving. Notice I didn't say when they ask for forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness is a choice. When you choose to forgive those who offended you, those who abused you, those who betrayed you, those who turned on you, you are choosing to no longer be a prisoner of your past pain and you strip them of the ability to ever be able to hurt you again. You completely disarm those that have hurt you, those that have abused you, those that have offended you from ever being able to hurt you again. The next characteristic of love is honesty. Why? Because honesty, love creates security for transparency. And I love the way the Bible says it. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. What does that mean? That they were in a place with so much love that they could be completely vulnerable open, transparent, completely naked, physically, in mind, body, and spirit, and soul. They were completely naked, and they felt so much security and so much love that they did not feel ashamed. And that's what love does. When we have this character of love that brings honesty, honesty gives room for people to be themselves. One of the worst places that you can be is in a relationship where you feel like you can't be yourself. That's exhausting. That's tiring. It's tiring for the people that feel that they have to walk on eggshells because you can't love them with enough grace that they're loving you with. And I've seen that in marriage where a husband and wife can't be themselves and they have to get home and they put on this mask trying to be who that other person feels that they should be. We see that in relationships. We see that in church relationships. We have to be able to give grace on the same level that we receive grace. And the Bible says it this way, freely you have received, then freely you should give. And so honesty is one of those places where we can be so real and so transparent, not worrying about how we're going to be judged, not worried about how we're going to be criticized, where we can truly be open and be ourselves. Those are the characteristics of love. Now let's talk about the quality of love. Look at what Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 13a. He says, but love never fails. I mean, we could just stop there and preach a whole sermon series just on that phrase, just on that statement right there. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Why? Because love never fails. When you live and you relate and you connect within a, an environment and a context of love, that love will pursue, persevere through every challenge, every, every situation. Why? Because love always remains steadfast in every circumstance. Love is eternal and love is unchanging. Love never fails. When you live in a context of love and you can be patient and kind and, and, and humble and, and honest and you can be yourself, when you live in that context of love, you'll be able to work through and get through every challenge and every difficulty, every moment that you go through when you live in that context of love. And that's why Paul closes this out with 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. 
but the greatest of these is love. Now, if someone was to ask you, what is the most important out of faith, hope, and love, would you be able to answer that question pretty easily? I know that I would probably, probably be struggle with it. Because I believe that each one of those characteristics or qualities, you know, are, are, are equally impactful to a person's life and relationship with God. If you didn't have faith, it would be hard to trust God and stay committed to anything and anyone. If you didn't have hope, everything would be meaningless to you and you would become pessimistic. But Paul here states that the greatest of these three is love. So how could love be greater than hope? And faith, because love surpasses all other virtues. Love is the foundation of faith and hope. Love is the essence of God's nature. And love binds all things together in perfect harmony. In fact, this is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony harmony. Notice that Paul uses a musical term here. He doesn't say love binds us all together in perfect unity. He says love binds us all together in perfect harmony. Why do you think Paul employs the word harmony instead of unity? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because harmony gives room for difference. What, what is harmony? Harmony are two notes within the same scale played together that when you play them together, it makes a beautiful chord. It makes a beautiful sound. So that means that you're in life, you're going to have people in your life that are going to be different. They're going to respond and react, have different personalities, different perspectives, different priorities. But he, Paul is saying that when you live in the context and the framework of love, then you can have two notes that are different played within the same scale. What does that mean? Within the same song, the same purpose, the same motivation. And this goes in marriage. This goes even in church. And so oftentimes we find ourselves with people that maybe we just don't connect with. But when we're played together in the context of love, then it is that love that takes those differences and makes a beautiful harmony. You know, there's another musical term called dissonant notes. Caleb, give me a couple of dissonant notes. Ooh. Some of you are dissonant notes. Play it again, dissonant notes. Just a dissonant, just give us that dissonant. Nobody says, oh, that's beautiful. Dissonant notes are notes that, that, that contradict or they, they just clash. And sometimes in your marriage, you're going to feel dissonant. You know, I, I think we, we all hear the adage that opposites attract. But let me tell you that opposite, opposites irritate. Opposites frustrate. They're like, oh, opposites attract. Yes, but they also irritate, they frustrate, they get on your last nerve. 
and you don't realize that you're dissonant tones and that's why you're dissonant but when you take those dissonant tones and you add a third note to that give me two dissonant tones and now add a third note and add a fourth T you add the right note to those dissonant tones what sounds like a clash now sounds like a beautiful chord and that's what love does Love will take those dissonant moments in your marriage, in your family, and shall we even go there in the church? <laughs> Some of you have dissonant personalities. I say that in all the love that I have as a pastor. And right away, we clash with, yes, let me tell you, you're not going to get along with everybody. We have over 300 people that gather together on Sunday here. And yes, you're not going to get with everybody. Your, 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 your humor is going to be different. The things you see are going to be different. Your reactions, your responses. But the thing is that when you are those, those dissonant tones that just clash, but you find yourself together in the environment and the context of love. So this is what it is. You have two dissonant tones, whether it be in marriage, whether it be in ministry. And then you add that third tone, which is, Jesus Christ which is God which is love now what used to clash now comes together as a beautiful amazing harmony and chord that's why Paul is saying that's why y'all are getting on each other's last nerve is because you're doing things out of love and when you do things out of love you clash but when you do things with love then God will use that love and he'll bind you together in a perfect harmony see according to the word of God we see that everything stems from love and most importantly God's love for us and our equal love to him and for him and for his children if we didn't have love it wouldn't build our faith as faith's foundation is that of love if we didn't have love we wouldn't have hope as hope is also only found in the love of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit see love is what led our Heavenly Father to allow his son to come to earth and be the sacrifice for our sins. Love is what led Jesus to cry out to God to forgive us because we didn't know what we were doing when his placement on the cross was due to our actions. Love is what the Holy Spirit brings to us every day, loving us continually when it hurts, when it's hard, when we're happy, when we're sad, irritated, or frustrated. So love is the greatest of all these three. But without love, faith, and hope, would be impossible. That's why we need love. Because love will be that third chord that takes those two dissonant tones and creates a beautiful harmony. Whether it's in your marriage, your family, or in ministry. We've got to do things in the context of love. Will you stand? Did y'all learn something today? Thank you to all five of you who clapped. Really? All late. I know I'm needy today. Love me. Be patient. I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your favor. But most greatly, God, we thank you for your love because you first loved us 
now we can love others. We can love ourselves, which will allow us to love others. God, I pray that our lives would, would live within the framework and the context of love, that we would be patient, that we'd be kind, that we would be humble, that we'd be honest. Lord God, that we'd be gentle, not self-seeking, but that we would reflect your love for us in the way that we love and we treat people. God, we want to create a love revolution in our families, in our city, in our community. God, we want to create a love revolution where we show what true biblical and godly love is. Because ultimately, we want to love people to you. That is our mission, loving people to Christ. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.